Hey there everyone, welcome aboard to another episode of the Between the Lines podcast. This is your host Mayuresh and today he's got a big show in line for you guys. Today we'll be talking a lot about what happened in England, Spain, Italy and Germany. We'll also have a brief discussion about the Euro 2024 draws. Uh, we'll take a look at what happened in the Premier League between Man City and Tottenham. We'll talk about the game between Man United and Newcastle in detail. We'll talk also about... Uh, Inter's victory against Napoli at the Maradona in Serie A and also by Leverkusen drawing against uh, Borussia Dortmund in the Bundesliga. But we'll have to start in Catalonia at the Montjuic where we saw Juan Felix earning Barcelona a victory against Atletico Madrid as they beat them by a goal to nil. Well, this game between Barcelona and Atletico Madrid was much more about Juan Felix than it was about Atletico or Barcelona, or maybe it was more about Juan Felix and Atletico Madrid and Diego Simeone and all the other comments that were shared between these two entities. But uh, in my opinion, the build-up to this game was really interesting. It was it was very intense in terms of the shots fired by both the camps. I mean, Juan Felix saying that even the Atletico players would not really like to play for Diego Simeone or in that system per se uh, because that is not something that gives an individual or a player in fact freedom on the pitch but uh, then you know the Atletico players especially Griezmann who comes in and says you know Juan Felix as 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 good and as talented as a player he is he's much more like a diva who I mean he's he, he did not say diva but he said that he does not want to work hard and when you play for Diego Simeone, when you've been bought for so much money, you are actually expected to work that hard. You're actually expected to uh, uh, run your socks off. And in that system that Simeone plays, it's it's imperative that you've got to do the basics right and the basics are to work harder. And in, in turn, you get your due rewards in that system. And... You know, there were shots fired, there was a lot written onto it. You know, Atletico Madrid not really happy with the way things started off uh, when Juan Felix came back from Chelsea in the summer and eventually they got rid of him. Or Not really, but they've got um, a, a way out of not dealing with Juan Felix for at least uh, the first, uh, or not the first, but at least for the remainder of uh, this season. So... They've got them off their they've got them off their books. They've well, largely due to their due to the help of uh, George Mendes. But anyways, it's it's really a very interesting situation that got built up. And well, this game was very much a part of the Juan Felix soap opera, and it it did not disappoint. I think if you're a Barcelona fan, this was probably your best performance of the season, and there's. There's no looking looking back at it. I mean, they've been terrible in many games so far this season. They got outplayed by Porto, nearly outplayed by Porto in at the Montjuic in the in midweek. But they certainly were outplayed in the Dragao. They got outplayed in San Sebastian. They got outplayed against Celta de Vigo at the at at the Montjuic. I think it was or was it at the Balaidos? I've got no idea. But yeah, they were outplayed by. Uh, uh, they were outplayed by Celta Vigo. They were outplayed in the first half against Alaves. 
there are so many games this season where they have not been good. They had no idea, no identity, no you know plan in place when they played Shakhtar Donetsk in Hamburg. So th- there have been games in where they have been so terrible. I mean, if you look at games against uh, teams like uh, uh, Celta Vigo or Real Sociedad, Alaves, these are games where they did not deserve to take any, any points from it and they ended up winning it. This one, even against Porto, in the first game at the Dragao, they did not deserve to win that game, but they somehow won it. And, you know, the Lady Luck was smiling on them. But this time, if you look at it, the number of goals that were on, on, on show for this game did not really give you the right picture because Barcelona were by far the better side against Atletico. And to be honest, this was Atletico's probably second worst performance of the season. Their first being that loss to Las Palmas. But in my opinion, this was... I I thought this was terrible from Atletico. It just was not good enough. I mean, I don't know why in 2023, I mean, at the end of 2023, going into 2024, you've got Axel Witzel playing as a centre-back, as one of your centre-backs in the team. I I really don't know what the, what the idea behind that is. Of course, you want to play out from the back. And I think that was one of the most fundamental things that Atletico got wrong because... In the first five to six minutes, they were playing out of the back and it was disastrous to watch. I mean, it really was calamitous ball playing by the Atletico defenders. Of course, if you want to play out from the back, you cannot play Stefan Savic, who is probably the worst player I've seen play as a centre-back, who play on the ball, play as a centre-back. I, I, I don't think I've seen a worse defender than Stefan Savic. Of course, he's got different attributes. He's, he's, a, he's a tigerous defender, but... He's not the best player with the ball at his feet, is he? But, uh, yeah, you have to say there is a lot to desire from, even if on that left wing situation or the left wing back or the left back, which whatever you may call it. This was Rodrigo Riquelme's game. Not, uh, not a game for Samuel Lino as he was not being chosen. But Rodrigo Riquelme, as good as he's been in the Champions League especially, this was not, this was not a good game from him. Uh, in in the midfield, I think uh, the personnel was somewhat right because uh, they played De Paul, they played Coque, and they played Llorente, um, which I really like. I think Llorente and Nahuel Molina playing on that right hand side gives them a lot of um, combinational freedom because then you don't have guys like Griezmann to drift out on the wide sides because you've got a lot of a uh, lot of bodies coming in, a lot of creativity on the, on that area. I think that is. Um, necessary in that team I still think with Pablo Barrios out there, there is a lot to uh, lot, lot to look at uh, Atletico Madrid instead of uh, having guys like Rodrigo de Paul because because yeah he's a fighter yeah he's he leaves everything on the pitch he's not a good footballer in my opinion and you know of course uh, someone like Pablo Barrios not being in of course he's old he, he's not he's not that old enough to play in a big game like this but you know, it is it is what it is. I, I would have rather liked to see Pablo Barrios being thrust into that sort of game than someone like Rodrigo de Paul. Um, but anyways, if you look at this game and, you know, for some reason in Spain it has been called as the El Superduelo, which is the second big game. I mean, that's what the... Not, not the accurate 
not not the accurate uh, what do you say translation but it is it is quite uh, quite close to it but yeah it is called the El Super Duelo and this one uh, as I said won by Barcelona by a goal to nil um, Barcelona on the other hand as I said by far the best performance of this campaign I think they they played really well in this one they had a clear plan in place I think the midfield of Gundogan Frankie de Jong and Pedri looked very, very good, very fluid. They kept the ball so well and most probably are going to keep the ball against many teams. I mean, many teams are going to rather going to keep the ball against Atletico Madrid. Um, again, I think they had a good performance also against Real Betis. I, I don't really remember it clearly. Um, of course, they also spanked uh, Royal Antwerp in the Champions League in the first game, but... I mean, that, that's not what we're going to talk about, of course. Um, they, they played really well against, uh, against Atletico on the other day. And, uh, well, yeah, they deserved all three points. I think, again, the big, the big uh, talking, for, talking point as far as Barcelona concerned in this game, of course, was Juan Felix. And the thing is, again, you know, in, I, I don't know who gave that post-match interview, but... There were some players around in that Atletico team which who were very much surprised uh, with some of the things that happened in this game. For example, with Juan Felix. Uh, Juan Felix made the most number of tackles in terms of recoveries and he also uh, went into a fight with Jimenez and then the celebration as well. There's one thing that I need to, need to really get this out of my system and that is, you know what? Juan Felix is not a Atletico Madrid player. He's not a Barcelona player. I mean, he is a Barcelona player by definition, but he's not really guaranteed to be at Barcelona next season. He may be or may not be at Barcelona. So, uh, you know what? When you're playing against your parent club, you don't need to make that sort of a stupid celebration. Of course, you're allowed to enjoy goals, but you need to think as well because, you know... The team that you're playing for is broke. They don't have money. They're only signing a player like Victor Oke, who, uh, on whom will come, because one of their players is injured and that makes some space in their financial budget. I mean, we'll, we'll come to that as well. But the team that you're playing for is broke. And the team that you are celebrating against is your parent club and you don't have good relationships, not with the manager, not with some of the players, but also with the fans. And that's where it gets really worse. Because if, I mean, most probably Barcelona are not going to have money to sign both Juan Felix and also, and also Juan Cancelo. There is very difficult, it, it, is, it is going to be very difficult for Barcelona to find that sort of money to sign Juan Felix, especially now that he is uh, gaining confidence, he's gaining form. And also, given the fact that Atletico Madrid play, paid huge amount of money, then you would want a return on investment, at least 60 to 70 million euros, if Juan Felix does play to his potential in the season. So, most probably, if you look at this one, Barcelona might not be able to afford Juan Felix at the end of the season, and maybe, just maybe, they would need to sign another defensive midfielder, because, of course, we all know Orion Romeo is not going to be there for is the entirety of next the next two or three years i don't know how much he trusts gundawan and uh, and frankie de jong to play in that sort of role in that number six role but you know there is a real need of a six in that team and maybe they would like to 
put that money somewhere else. So th there is a lot of loopholes in it, and I'm very not. I'm I'm very disappointed by the way this entire thing just blow blew up. I mean, most probably if Atletico Madrid and 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 on top of it, there is no other team apart from Barcelona who is ready to take a a risk with that sort of sum which will guarantee them Juan Felix on a permanent deal. There's no other team other, other than Barcelona who's going to willing to take that risk. So I don't know how much that makes sense with Juan Felix celebrating the way that he did. He took the goal brilliantly, by the way. Atletico, uh, Atletico were getting away with it until that point because they had so many good chances. But apart from... I, I, I'm, really, I'm, I'm really intrigued to say that. He, he also kissed the badge in the midweek in the Champions League uh, uh, in the game against Porto. So it, it's, it's, it's very strange. It really is a bit strange scenario here that we are getting. Another strange scenario is watching one of the best strikers around in Europe for the last 10 years not being at his full potential, and that's Robert Lewandowski. He, he, he missed a barrage of chances. You see that one ball where he misses the head and the ball smashes to his nose. There is that Wally, which would have been a brilliant goal, by the way. Uh, there is that one chance where, you know, Kunde, or maybe it was that Wally. Where, but anyways, there was one chance where Kunde overlaps Rafinha and cuts that one back for Lewandowski and he misses again. This has been a pattern and Lewandowski is not scoring goals. This is a bit of an emergency, maybe it is. Because Barcelona, if the goals are not coming from Lewandowski... I don't know if they're going to guaranteedly come from players like Juan Felix or even Rafinha, who probably is on his way out next season if they find some decent forwards again. So I, I find this really hard to know about what the planning is about with Lewandowski because Victor Roque has said his, uh, his goodbyes in Brazil. And he will be coming to Barcelona in January. So what is the decision that, that, that Barcelona are going to take with Robert Lewandowski? Because there is some amount of pressure that is going to be exerted on him. Because there is someone who's waiting in the wings to play in that number nine role. And maybe he's going to be the future for Barcelona in that number nine role. For now, you need to make sure that you are getting the goals as well. Because let, uh, it's, it's not an easy place to be in. And... If if you ask me, I've seen Lewandowski for around now what since since his Dortmund days, and I've I I know that he's a good striker. I know that he is he's an he's 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 an physical freak of nature. The thing is that everyone has their downfalls this, at, at this part of time in their career. It happened with Ronaldo. It happened with Messi as well at Paris Saint Germain. So it's it's not really a crisis situation. But the thing is that. You need to get over this. You you need to have your, your A game back, and you know that that's going to be very imperative for people like Lewandowski. And again, this is probably happening because you know Gavi is injured, and the financial space has been cleared for at least six months, and that allows Victor Roque, or it's not Victor Roque, it's Victor Roque or Hoque. I don't know. It's it's very difficult to pronounce his name in Portuguese. But um, I think that is the reason why Victor Hoque is uh, going to come at, and fill that space from January itself. So we'll see what happens with Victor Hoque. 
but uh, for now Lewandowski he really is living on thin ice and the there is some amount of unison between all the Barcelona fans on social media that you know Xavi is actually acting a little bit clumsy on the situation because there is a sense of Lewandowski being one of his favorite pupils and he is not really ready to take the pressure off him and you know distribute it amongst the other players so that they can score goals because there there has been problems they have not been blowing teams away the the players who have scored in their in the last few games for Barcelona is been Juan Felix twice Joao Cancelo an own goal and apart from that I, I've lost count of the players that have scored for them Ronald Araujo against Real Sociedad just before the international break so the the players are not really scoring goals Gundogan maybe if he plays a bit further forward can score a few but I I don't know it's 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 a really puzzling situation and we'll see what happens in the near future as far as Real Madrid go uh, they were on their they were at home in the Bernabeu against Granada and we were going from strength to strength as Rodrigo scored again. There was a goal as well for Brahim Diaz, who was fantastic. Some people think that he is a massive upgrade on Marco Asensio, who surprisingly is not getting any game right now at Paris Saint-Germain. That, that really is surprising with the bums that they have. And Dembélé playing so much as he is, or maybe Asensio is injured. I don't know what happened with Asensio, but for now, people have a general consensus, including me, that Brahim Diaz has had a very, very significant contribution at Real Madrid since he's been given a run of games and even Ancelotti is very happy with him. Uh, I thought the way we played in this game was... Again, fantastic. There is a lot of positives. Um, Tony Kroos being at his usual level helps. Um, Valverde really understanding his role in that double pivot alongside Kroos also helps. Jude Bellingham, well, he missed two chances, but who cares? Because we're still winning and he, he does show up a lot of effort. So I don't really worry about him so much. Um, of course, looking forward as well, you've got... Um, what do you say? It's 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 been a good time if you're a Real Madrid fan. You've got the game against Betis for that. You know, Danny Carvajal is now injured. So you'll pop, probably say Lucas Vasquez on the right-back position, which really scares the shit out of me because in that diamond structure, it's still a 4-4-2, a flat 4-4-2 without the ball, but it really scares the living hell out of me that we'll have to see uh, Lucas Vasquez in that role at least until the end of uh, end of this month, or maybe until the Spanish Super Cup. And I'm I, I'm sorry. Why the hell is he going to the Spanish Super Cup anyways? Stay in Madrid. Have your treatment. Get some time off. Why do you need to go to the Spanish Super Cup? Why do you need? Why do you? Why does it feel the need to go to fucking Saudi Arabia? I'm I'm sorry, but stay stay in Madrid when you're injured. Don't go to that stupid worthless games in Saudi Arabia. Just just. I, I, I'm, I'm sorry, but it's really the news that he would be fit for the Super Cup. It really gets the nerve out of me. But as I said, you know, it's uh, it's going to be fantastic uh, for Real Madrid in the next few games because they're going to face some easy fixtures. We still don't know what the draw is going to mean. Um, probably this is going to be really easy for Real Madrid have because they're going to finish first in their in, in the Champions League group as well. Ancelotti has just lost one game where he went all crazy and uh, 
played Rodrigo and Bellingham up front. I don't know what was he thinking on that one. But uh, yeah, there are players who, is, who are pulling out, pulling in their way. Rudiger has been brilliant. So is Verlon Mondi. I'm still very skeptical about uh, David Alaba and his defending against on on crosses. And well, it really is uh, the side to build. But anyways, the ball that he played for the Bellingham goal in the in, in the game against Napoli was just amazing. Um, there's a lot to desire from. There really is a lot to desire from from Real Madrid as well in certain areas. Rudiger's been a colossus. So has Valverde. So has Brahim Diaz. Danny Sabayo, since he's come back into the side, looks really good. And, well, the young Nico Path, he, he looks fantastic as well. There is a bit of problem with the number nine situation. And I've said this on Twitter as well, that I would like to like Florentino Perez to go in the market and sign someone like a Julian Alvarez because I think he suits the bill a lot and a, a, a number nine who can facilitate both Rodrigo and Vinicius and even Rodrigo can complement both Vinicius and Julian Alvarez if he signs for Real Madrid of course I would like to see that happen but alas we all know what's going to happen with the we're going to go back to the Kylian Mbappe saga but anyways uh, Girona as well they uh, came back against Valencia uh, and they won the game by two goals to one. It was not a comeback, but it's a very measured approach to a game where you're behind, and that could happen to any anyone. Uh, Christ, uh, Christian Stuani, the architect of that comeback, and, uh, well, Girona is still on the hunt. They are really generating a massive gap between themselves and the chasing pack. I'm not saying with, with Real Madrid, Atletico Madrid and Barcelona, but the chasing pack, I mean to say with uh, Real Sociedad and the likes of Betis and Atletico Club de Bilbao. They did draw against Bilbao away at the San Mames, but, uh, well, uh, they've, they've gone again and got something back again from, uh, from, from Valencia. But it's 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 interesting. It really is interesting the way they are playing football right now. Um, I I don't know what to say more about that team. It it really has been a revelation in the Primera División this this side. And again, with the with with the stake being held by the City Group, it it really can get better and better as the days move on. So Manchester United and Newcastle United, are two teams who played in the Champions League this midweek. Both were on their travels. One team were away in Istanbul. One was in Paris. Both the teams got a draw. Both the teams were in lead. And then they conceded goals, which resulted in a draw. Now, both these teams don't have their fate in their own hands in the Champions League. But these two collided with each other in the Premier League at the St. James's Park. And the team, which were more hungrier, the team which had more desire, the team which, to be honest, had a game plan, came up came up with a victory. And to be honest, Manchester United for that team, for the for the group of players that were there at the St. James's Park, this was always going to be a tough one because because not because it's a tough place to go, because more so that this team is made of some average bunch of players and let's be honest injuries is not the reason why this team is is where it is right now this this team is really uh, I, I mean it, it, it it's a feeling of haplessness which I get after watching this team I mean there is absolutely no one maybe apart from Alejandro Garnacho and probably Harry Maguire who 
I thought was the mo the, the players who wanted to do actually do something. But apart from these guys, Bruno, Scott McTominay, you look at Maguire, uh, not Maguire, but Shaw, look at Dallo and Van Bissaka and all these other guys. Marcus Rashford, I mean, come on, goodness me, Marcus Rashford, he started yet another game in spite of in spite of being in Manchester for the entire week, he was not on the travels in Istanbul. He he, he was suspended because of that unlucky red card that, that he got against FC Copenhagen. Goodness me, this te- this team is so bad. And there's there's no extent at which I can go and criticize this team. It's 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 really pathetic the way they play. There is no desire, there's no work rate. I mean Come on, but first of all, we need to give Newcastle their flowers. This team has come a long way, and uh, you know, after a game like that they had in Paris where they were dominated, they still were in the uh, still were on the cusp of getting all three points from that tough fixture away to the Parc des Princes. But in the end, you know, the referee did give them a very bad decision. Of course, I mean, you could argue that Anthony Gordon or Ashraf Hakimi could have been a penalty as well. But in the end, of course, you know, it, it was a heartbreaking result. I mean, you could imagine what it would have meant to, to the entire spectrum in the Champions League had that penalty not been given because that was so significant. Uh, but anyways, this is uh, that was then and this was now with Manchester United absolutely not showing up in this case. It, 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 was, it, it was bad. It was really pathetic, to be honest. And I can understand the reasons behind it. One being the travel fatigue and all that, all that stuff. But you can't give that sort of reason when you've got another team who has been to Paris as well. It, you, you have to cope right now. You you have to cope. You can't be giving that sort of reasons. And you know, if if you're starting guys like Anthony Martial in the starting eleven in the year twenty twenty three, there's something really wrong with your club. I mean. There is an extent at which you can defend your own club, you can defend your manager, but seriously, this is this this is not really a, this this is not on, really not on. One thing that I have to discuss is why is Rafael Varane not starting in these games? I can understand you you want to stick with your guns and you want to stick with your own what you say with your own hunch that you want. Um, Victor Lindelof uh, in your starting eleven, and you've fallen out with with Rafael Varane. But well, he, if he's not in the in, in your plans for the starting eleven against Galatasaray, he's definitely a better defender than than Luke Shaw. I mean, come on, it's it it really is very puzzling as to what has happened here. Because first of all, here Ten Hag he comes out and he says that you know he's going to have a chat with Marcus Rashford. And he's and he's one hundred percent sure that he's going to come back and come back with a bang. I mean, I'm just paraphrasing it here, but that was along those lines that he said it. But then you go and you look at guys like Cristiano. He fell out with Cristiano, and he said that he need to prove him, prove it to him. Who's Ten Hag, and who's Cristiano here? He he asked Cristiano to prove it to him that he's still up for the fight here at Manchester United. Then he goes around and for, for publicly uh, says the things that he says about Sancho. And now I can understand. I mean, I can, I can genuinely understand where Sancho came from right now. I mean, 
yeah, you've you've got yourself a, a sort of a disciplinary situation where the players think that they're bigger than the club, but that needs to be consistent enough. I mean, this again brings me to the situation that was around with Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and Ralf Rangnick, that there is player power in that dressing room with the guys like Rashford and Maguire and uh, Shaw and Fernandez. These guys run the dressing room. And I'm, as, as I said, I'm, I'm not here afraid to pull out these names around. And even Scott McTominay is one of them. These are players who were around from the days of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and these are the players who got him sacked. These are the guys who did not show up when Ralph Rangnick was around. They knew that if they threw him under the bus, he's not going to be here. And that's what happened eventually. Some of these players are also playing here from the days of uh, Jose Mourinho. If you look at Victor Lindelof, Luke Shaw, Marcus Rashford, Anthony Martial, these are all guys who are playing since the days of Jose Mourinho. Where's the change? There is no change, but there is always finger-pointing. There is always scapegoating of players like Rafael Varane. He, he, he shoved David De Gea out of the door at Manchester United. And what is he brought in? Andre Onana, who's, who's absolutely been good for nothing and single-handedly has been responsible for the elimination of the champion out of the Champions League. But, well, he's one of his softies and he'll continue to defend him. But when it comes down to players like Rafael Ran, who has had a track record of being one of, the, one of the most good students around managers who've achieved more than Eric Ten Hag has ever achieved in his entire career. Well, Rafael Ran has played under managers like Carlo Ancelotti. He's played under Jose Mourinho. He's played under Zinedine Zidane. He's played under Didier Deschamps. I don't know what the problem is with Rafael Ran if he's, if, he, if he's going around and being a very good player for these guys and he, he's been a very good student for these guys, but then comes around Eric Ten Hag and he's fallen out with him. I mean, if you're seeing players like Johnny Evans starting for Manchester United ahead of you, definitely you've got to fall out because you're a four-time Champions League winner, you're a World Cup winner, you had a very good season last time around and you have to put up with this. I mean, if there, are, there has to be some sort of limitation as to what is happening at this football club because this is not comical at this moment right now. And to be honest, if, if you look at it, logically speaking, it's, it's not time for, to, for, for, for people to say that you know, Ten Hag should be out of this because, no, it, 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 it's, it's the same sort of players that will be, an, will be the reason for which another manager is going to be sacked. And... That is a sad part of this football club. Gary Neville comes out and says that, you know, this, uh, uh, I, I'm, I'm fed up of watching my own team and he, he's bored of... And that, again, it, this is the epitome of your club being degrading to the ground. And I know United will be back and that's a circle of life. But really, are, are you going to tell me that this manager, with the seriousness that he's showing around on the football pitch and the identity that he's still lacking to give to this football club. They're not going anywhere. Not, not with this manager. Not really, because they're finding excuses. They're finding players to play the same for, for the nth time in this, in, the, in this decade, which is sack managers, but they do, don't do anything about it. Anthony Martial in this football club is, is, is actually, you know... Gives gives you all the indications why this football club is at the is is at the, is at, is in the situation that it is right now. 
because he, he shouldn't be playing for Manchester United. I'm sure that if he signs for any French club, they won't play Anthony Martial in the starting eleven. But still, he's one of the guys that Eric Ten Hag liked when he came in and he's continued to stick up with him. I don't know for what reason, for what reason he is he's still being in this club, but surely there has to be some limitations there to the stupidity of this entire place being running around. I know there will be some, uh, some, some investment that will come through uh, with Sir Jim Ratcliffe and, and, it, and his Ainos or something, what, what his firm is called. But I, I don't know if, if, if these guys are going to be still around in the club and, play, and, and people like Darren Fletcher and, uh, and John Murta are going to be running the circus again. Well, these lot aren't good for nothing as well. They're really not good for anything. But again, I, I, I still think, you know, if Ten Hag is really serious about it, you know, get these players out of the door. Have some authority amongst yourself because Marcus Rashford, Bruno, Bruno Fernandes is not the type of midfielder that he wanted at Ajax. He ever had it. I mean, he, he's not the sort of a midfielder that his Ajax philosophy st stays around. I mean, neither is Casemiro, but he made things work for Edson Alvarez there. But... You need to have characters in your team. And if you're getting characters like Cristiano and Casemiro and Varane out of this team, you're really asking for trouble, aren't you? But then again, I, I, I don't know what I should say more about Manchester United. Again, I have to touch upon Marcus Rashford. It's a disgraceful performance yet again by him. There is no sort of commitment towards his... To, to, towards, uh, to, towards the badge. He, he does not want to want to play for the badge and people who were gaslighted because of his because of his good form last season and and in all honesty that was a good that, that was good form from him but people really thought that he was the future and you know and Ronaldo's goals were hurting him and Ronaldo's presence was limiting him from being the player that he could be well there is no Ronaldo right now he's all on his own and people are now trying to come up with excuses and saying that you know what, he should be playing on the left and not on the right because that's where he gets his more impact. Oh, please give me a break. Marcus Rashford has had his chance on the left wing for around 10 to, 10 to 12 games and he had been dog shit for the entire 20, 10 to 12 games. He did not track back, he did not press, he did not run around. Cristiano Ronaldo at the age of 36 did more running than he ever did. Cristiano Ronaldo did more running in one game than he's done in the entire season. So don't come up with... Things like he needs to run, he needs to play on the left wing. He does not need to play on the left wing. He needs to be sitting on his bench. And please, for God's sakes, I know he's a good person off the field, and he's done a very, and he's done good charitable things. And that's the thing that really is, and and I think that's the thing that really is coming in 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 the middle of all this nonsense that's coming up with Marcus Rashford, because he's not a good player. He's an average football player who hit form last season. And this is the third or fourth podcast that I'm saying this. He's an average football player. I, I, I mean, if, if you're going to give chances to bums like Marcus Rashford, you might as well give chance to Facundo Peistri, who, who, who gives you a lot more than Marcus Rashford does. I saw a lot more from him in that Galatasaray game, in games against, I don't know who it was. I, th I think it was, I think it was Nottingham Forest or Luton or Brentford. I don't know where... Fernandez got his last his goal. I think it was Burnley or something, or not or not even Burnley. I I don't remember the game that he played. I mean, I think it was Luton Town. 
Maybe it was Luton. I've got no idea what those games were. But Bruno Fernandes got his final goal. And he showed more character there, more work rate there than this guy. Come on now. You have to usher guys like Bruno Fernandes, like Luke Shaw. Maybe you could keep Luke Shaw. But you need to get out Lindelof. You need to get out Dalot. I think he's a good lad, Dalot. But he's also missed the pot, really. Um, you've got Dalot out of the out of it. Maybe get also... Um, Van Bissaka with you. McTominay need, needs to be nowhere near this club. Anthony Martial, Marcus Rashford, Bruno Fernandes, Scott McTominay, as I said before. These players don't deserve to be at this football club. It's a big football club. Victor Lindelof does not need to be playing at this football club anymore. Johnny Evans should not ever be signed for this football club. He got relegated with Leicester last year. What is he playing for Manchester United right now? I mean, there, there is serious sickness in this football club. From top to bottom, and the manager in the is in the midst of it because he's been picking those players who sack managers before. He's picking players who are not fit to play a very attractive brand of football. There is a lot of things that are, that are really rotten with this football club, and I'm sorry, but Manchester United fans have to get have have to smell the coffee right now. But again, if you if you get in players like Facundo Peistri, you get in players like Amadiallo back from loan. You've got players like uh, Lisandro Martinez, Varane, Casemiro. I think you can see a bit something in there. Garnacho's been very good. I think you can coach a very good centre-forward out of Rasmus Hoyland. Buy a few midfielders. Kobe Mainu has been a very good positive in the last one week. The way he came out against Galatasaray. Of course, he, he was at four for that goal at, for Aktor Koglu in, in the midweek. And he got absolutely pasted. In this game against Newcastle, because the entire Newcastle United midfield was just swarming on him. Joe Linton, Bruno Guimaraes, and Luis Miley—they were all over, uh, all over Kobe Minor. And people who were saying that Casemiro's lost legs—no, he did not. If you look at the average positions of all the midfielders in the first six to seven games of Manchester United, Casemiro was on an island, and then you had Mountain Bruno Fernandez up alongside the striker getting into attack. I don't know what what sort of game plan that was, but you know certainly Casemiro needs needed help in that midfield because he cannot cover every single blade of grass when you've got three players running at him. You he needed help there, and that's what he got nothing off. I think if Manu plays alongside Casemiro, I think he can learn a lot of good things, and also he can have a sense of security in there. Maybe he can also attain that with a certain Sofian Amrabat in there because when he came on, he showed a lot as well. And let's be honest, this 1-0 scoreline is not what you think the game was all about. This game was one-way traffic and it was one-way traffic for the entire 90 minutes. So let's just talk about Newcastle as well now because they've come a long way since uh, since the time where they had Sam Allardyce and all these other guys and then uh, it it all, it all started really well for Eddie Howe. They got a bit invested in the club and since then they have not looked back and it's not been gun hole, you know, attack on players which they feel are shiny and bright and could be good prospects. There's been a bit of planning involved, there's been a bit of strategy involved and, well, they're, they're bearing the fruits of it. It's It's good homework, it's good game plan, it's good strategical team building that's helped them reach where they are right now they probably won't be in the champions league for the for the knockout stages 
Maybe they will be in the Champions League next season again. But you know what? It's, it's, it's been quite the ride and I really am liking to enjoy this. Now, and, and you can only credit this guy, Eddie Howe, because he's, he's been fantastic with this, with, this, with this football club. And the way he's ingrained the entire, uh, entire team into this, it's, it's been amazing. And this is the third time on the bounce after the Carabao Cup final earlier this year that uh, Eddie Howe's defeated Manchester United. He he did welcome them in the latter half of last season, which was around April and May. They came there, they got pasted, absolutely battered, uh, um, they, they absolutely battered Manchester United. And then again, in the uh, Carabao Cup, uh, where he got those reserve players around at Old Trafford, and it was like a training session for them, another disgraceful performance. Uh, by United, and then now again, they just got, they, they, ran, they ran ragged against uh, Man United, and again, I would say this thing as well, the games are won and lost, in the big, the, these big heavyweight clashes are mostly won and lost in the midfield, Joe Linton, Bruno Guimaraes and Luis Smiley, they're not very household names, but they run around, they have those work rate in them, they have th- those legs in them. They know what the manager wants of uh, wants from them. They know what the team wants from them. If you look at Manchester United, it's a disintegrated midfield. You've got Scott McTominay playing as 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 your two in one of your two holding midfielders. That's never gonna work. That's never ever gonna work for you. And if you think you're gonna, it's it's gonna work. You're living in cuckoo land, as Roy Keane always says, because these players. I, I, I'm sorry, I'm lost for words for Manchester United, but you know, again, kudos to um, kudos to Eddie Howe. And it, it, again, one really interesting thing here: this is not really the thing, team which was inherited, uh, which was made by the investment of this football club. Not really, if you look at it. There are players like Jamal Lascelles and Fabian Scher. These two players used to play for Newcastle United before the investment and they're still playing now and look at the level Miguel Almiron was not a player which was brought by the new investment owners this is a player which was still at the which was at the club back then as well Joel Linton is not one of those players as well Callum Wilson is not one of those players as well although he's not playing but these four guys these are not players who were playing before before the investment came around you know and again, it's just not those four players. If you look at Anthony Gordon and Nick Pope, they played for teams which were relegation threatened. It's not really um, rocket science as to how you need to make things work. It's just amalgamation of resources that you have at your disposal and just pouring an identity amongst them. That's what's happened with Newcastle United. It's not really a scattergun approach like we see at Paris Saint-Germain. It's not really a... Uh, an approach like that it's 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 more of a structured approach and that's what gained this sort of a uh, this sort of a harmonical team that's that that we're seeing right now if you look at the entire game this was one way traffic the midfield completely dominated manchester united and you look at guys like tino livramento yeah livramento is again one of those guys who 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 was playing for southampton a club again relegation threatened Dan Byrne, I mean, look, Dan Byrne's not here, so we won't talk about him. But yeah, these are bits and pieces which are joined in and 
there is an identity attached to these players and they play with the same sort of approach that a first team would and you know that's how you get the best out of your players it's it's not what Manchester United do but this is this is props to Newcastle United and their approach that they've attained this sort of harmony in their entire team um as i said this result means a lot to Newcastle United they have a couple of easy fixtures coming around but they have to be mindful of that game at the St James's Park against Milan uh, around 10 days later so we'll see what happens there as far as United are concerned they're as good as out from the Champions League and you know we'll, we'll see what happens because they have got the big game against Chelsea uh, day after tomorrow and that's I, I don't know what to call of that game because that that's going to be a big puzzler there and um well, then they also have uh, the Bayern game just a week later, that Chelsea game. And in between those two games, it's a Bournemouth clash, which is sandwiched in. Then they have, of course, the big game at Anfield against Liverpool. Don't know how this is going to be, but if they screw up one of those two games between Bournemouth and Chelsea, I can easily see alarm bells ringing up for Eric Ten Hag and also for Jim Ratcliffe if he is really interested in getting this club back to where it belongs, I mean, he would have a keen eye on these four fixtures going around. Because if they screw any of those first two fixtures against Chelsea, against Bournemouth, they are in a precarious position right now and it, it just makes it worse. It really would make it worse. Well, Man City, on the other hand, were in action against Tottenham in the Etihad Stadium, a fixture, or rather a team, which they generally don't like facing in these past few years because they're more or less a boogie team for Man City, whether Tottenham are managed under Jose Mourinho or Antonio Conte, or like it was the case on Sunday that they were managed under Ange Postecoglou, who a team which came there to play attack, attractive football, which not attractive, but attacking football. They came them there to give themselves a chance, and that's what they did. I think they... The way Man City played in this game was, again, not really good. And this is another game where they've shipped up goals, where it was not really necessary to do so. It happened against RB Leipzig and in the midweek it happened against Liverpool, where there was just one attack in that what, space of 30, 20 minutes. And Alexander-Arnold scored a very, very good fit, a good goal. He had it against Chelsea as well. So it's been a recurring occurrence for Man City that they are really bottling it defensively. And this is not really good news. But, you know, if you ask Pep Guardiola, he would rather take a situation like this right now in the season rather than have it in the later stages, especially given the fact that they will be having Champions League football as well as the Premier League title race will be sticking it up uh, with every passing game. Um but the way I, I would say Tottenham played this game, given the fact that they were very much hit with injuries as well, look at the team that they put up. It was Emerson Royale and Ben Davis playing as a centre-back pairing. You had uh, Destiny Doggy on the left-back and you had Pedro Porro at right-back. You had a midfield pairing of Pierre-Emil Hoybier, or was it Pierre-Emil Hoybier? It was Bissouma and Lo Celso, if I'm not wrong. And up top of that... And and ahead of them, you've they had Brian Hill on the wide areas. They had Brennan Johnson and Kulusevski. And up top, there was Son. So I think that was more or less the team. 
which was put in by um uh, uh by by Ange Postecoglou. Here you can see there are players like Pape Matarsar, there is Christian Romero, there is Mickey Van de Ven, there is uh, Rodrigo Bentancur. Uh there are some serious players who are not playing in this game. James Madison, you can call him Manor Solomon, who was so good at the start of the season. I really like that player, by the way. Um, so many players uh, who, who are out with injuries and they still decided to cope up with them. It's not like Manchester United, where the players and the manager completely put this walls down. It, it, there, there is some pride attached to games like these, and that's what Tottenham showed us. And, and that's kudos to Ange Postecoglou, and that's a detriment as to where this team has come since the last four or five months under this manager. Whereas if you took a look at Manchester United, they have regressed with each passing game. <coughs> not just in the Premier League, I'm sorry. Uh, not just in the Premier League, but also in the Champions League. So th there you have it, the two ends of every spectrum. But I still think, again, with Tottenham, the way they played against Villa last weekend, it was... It, 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 it was... It was really strange with the way, again, they bounced back from that game to this one. It, it, it gives you a clear indication as to what they want from themselves this season. And I, I think, you know, you have to tip your hat to Ange Postecoglou, despite having so many shortcomings, or not shortcomings, but despite having so much pressure and so much, not you would say expectation, but... So many lack of resources at his disposal. He still, he still managed to make things happen, and I think that's what you you have to do as a football manager. As far as Pep Guardiola goes, this is not the best time for him right now. Um, there, there have been strings of bad performances where they've been getting away with it. I think the first half against RB Leipzig was nothing but a disgrace, uh, even against. Uh, Liverpool, I think they should have cleared up the game, but they kept Liverpool in the hunt. And at the end, you know, Liverpool got something out of that game, which took a lot away from the efforts that Man City showed. Of course, you would give them a pass for it because there was not much time to prepare for that game, given the fact that there was the international break preceding it. So th there have been games, again, as I said, lost to Chelsea, lost to, not lost to Chelsea, but I mean, that would feel like a loss, obviously. Uh, the draw to Chelsea, the loss to Arsenal. That these are games where really you would think, you know, there is there is there is a lot to repair here for the treble winners from last year. I still think there is that there is lot to be seen from Man City. I really like uh, the way they've been setting up again uh, with that midfield double pivot with Rodri and a centre back. I still think they need a Stones to partner it because other than that, it really looks appalling. I think someone like a Matthias Nuge could really be that guy if you ha if you want to usher in someone because I think he really fits in the bill for a Pep Guardiola side. Um, if you look at the defence, I think there is a big concern with Ruben Diaz. He's not been good. He, he was terrible against Luis Openda uh, in that game against Leipzig. He was... Terrible again against Chelsea. So uh, I, I'm I'm sorry, but there there is a lot of questions with Ruben Diaz, and I love Ruben Diaz. Um, I'm I'm sorry again with the Portuguese pronunciation, as I said before as well. It's not Victor Roque, it's Victor Roque. 
it's also is Ruben Diaz. It is Bruno Fernandes. I mean, isn't it? So, again, I, I would like to say, apologize for the pronunciation. Uh, Bernard Silva, he played really well yet again. He was fantastic against against Liverpool as well. So, it's nothing much I can say about Bernard Silva. Phil Foden scored a goal. It was a good goal. Jeremy Doku hit the post. The decision-making from Jeremy Doku has been vastly improved. And the one thing that you really... If you, if, if you microscope uh, this game into small pieces and you microscopically look at every single piece... The thing that Jeremy Doku has really impressed a lot of people who watch Liga on a regular basis is the work rate that he shows without the ball. That's something that you would probably have a problem with when you have Jack Grealish because he's a bit cocky, he's a bit bit of an arrogant personality, but when you have Jeremy Doku, he, he puts his head down and does all the things that the manager asks him to do. And I think that's that that says a lot about his character as well. But yeah, you know, it is it is what it is. Doku had he hit the he hit the crossbar once. Vicari had to make two or three good saves. Los Elsa scored a very good goal. So did Son. I think not Son, but I think Son's goal is going to raise a lot of eyebrows on Ederson. There is a lot of eyebrows already raised on uh, uh, on on the Man City defense, and you just don't need your goalkeeper making those sort of errors. Even the second goal, which uh, not not the second goal, but yeah, obviously there was one mistake as well again, which Edison made, but he's a bit cocky in that regard. Um, yeah, I, I, I still think there is there is a lot to lot to improve for Man City as far as Tottenham concerned. I said. It before as well. I think the goal from uh, uh, from 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 was brilliant. The goal, for, the run from uh, Son for that first goal against uh, 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 in 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 those first few minutes with the run, which really caught caught my eye and really had uh, Jeremy Doku on his springs was uh, was brilliant as well. Um, the final goal at which Nathan Ake had no answers to his question to, to those questions where. The ball from Brennan Johnson met uh, Dan Kulusevsky was also good. So there is a team there. There is a performance there. There is uh, some sort of a unity there. Not unity, but there is a, some sort of cohesion there. And there is a sense that, you know, things will come into place if you play the way that we're supposed to play under this manager. And I think that's a sense of uh, maturity. There's a sense of calmness around this, uh, around this, uh, around this group of players because they know that, you know, if you believe in this manager, we can we can achieve good things, and I think that's what has helped the cause so far this season. And I, I think there is a lot to look forward to if you're a Tottenham fan. If you're a City fan, I mean, of course, as I've, I've said it multiple times so far, there's a lot of things that you can really improve on if you're a Man City. Well, some other games from this weekend in the Premier League saw Liverpool host Fulham at uh, Anfield. And this was a really entertaining game, but if you're a Liverpool fan, you have to be disappointed. Some really ridiculous catalogue defensive errors, and it it, it was it, it was not good to watch. I mean, th- this entire game, if you look at it, if if you look at the defence of Liverpool, it's just appalling, really appalling. And you need to get that fixed. I think in the January transfer window, they need to go out and at least try for a defensive midfielder. I think. Uh, Andre from Fluminense in Brazil is going to be their most desired target. I think he fits all the bills because 
even in, even at Fluminense under Fernando Diniz, they play a very attractive brand of football, a very suicidal type of Marcelo Bielsa type of football, flamboyant, and he is the one who's holding things back in the midfield. He's a good passer of the ball as well, so that helps. But they need a defensive midfielder. They need a centre-back. Um, if you're a Fulham fan, you would be much more delighted that the way with the way the team showed character in this game. Of course, you can lose games, but and winning and losing are part of it. But the thing is that there is some pride attached to losing as well. And I think they showed good fight in there. They were up against a very strong crowd, a very strong team as well. They showed some really good resilience. And at the end, you know, of course, Liverpool nicked it off. And you should say, I mean, the catalogue of goals that Liverpool have scored in this game, they were amazing. McAllister's one, even the two that was scored by Alexander Arnold. I don't know if the free kick has been given to Alexander Arnold or, or is it a Bernd Leno own goal. But um, yeah, all those four goals were just amazing. Endo's goal as well was fantastic. And also the final goal from Alexander Arnold where he just smashes it after chesting it uh, on the edge of that penalty area. But yeah, it's it's a bit concerning for Liverpool. I think they need to get their act together before it's too late. Um as far as um, as far as the other team goes, which is which is Fulham, I think it was a bit it, it was a bit harsh on them at the end because of the remontada which happened. But anyways, I think they'll 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 be fine at the end of the season. Uh, we had also got Chelsea taking on uh, Brighton and Albion. This was again a very interesting one. Um, there was a strange penalty decision at the very end, but uh, yeah, I mean, if, if you're a Brighton, you would think about that one big moment that would have really been a bit instrumental in this entire in this entire game because of course Chelsea were 2 0 up and then you know one and say Nick's one goal Nick's one goal off and that was a very very good goal and more most probably that came against run of play. I was switching between Liverpool Chelsea Liverpool Fulham and uh, Chelsea Brighton so I did not get the build up to that but did I, I saw that goal live, so that was a good goal. And then, of course, that stupid yellow card from uh, for, from from Conor Gallagher, where he slides on to um, probably that's Billy Gilmore. And then that challenge from Caicedo, which I thought should have been a red card as well. Um, but alas, it was not to be. And I think that would have been a big moment if Caicedo had got that yellow card. Who knows? And then... Fulham again, uh, I, I think, uh, and then again, uh, Chelsea get a penalty, Fernandez scores that penalty, and then again, uh, Joao Pedro nicks one goal off right at the end, there is a penalty dis- decision, Davin- uh, David Sanchez again uh, pushes one big chance away, it was all nasty and it was all frantic in that entire game, but somehow... Chelsea get all three points. As I said before in my podcast as well, I don't know how that game at Old Trafford between Chelsea and Man United is going to go. It's going to be chaotic. It's going to be probably a very poor game of football. I can I, I, I can really see it from a mile away. Or maybe it's going to be one of those chaos. There is lots of space in the midfield. There is lots of... Uh, there, there's lots of space to attack. It's open and it's 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 chaotic, as I said before. But who knows what will happen. I think Chelsea are better placed right now. If you look at it, Chelsea can have a bit of a structure to the team, at least defensively. I don't know what they're going to do in their attack, but you know, always you can have a set-piece goal or a goal from the penalty spot anyways. 
but yeah, I think Chelsea can have much more of a structure. United are hopeless. We'll see what happens on Thursday, or rather Wednesday, if you, if you, if you stay around. But yeah. So let's move on now to Naples in Italy, as we had the big game between Napoli and Inter at the Estadio Diego Armando Maradona. This game ended in a 3-0 victory for Inter as they absolutely swamped past uh, Napoli at their own home turf. And to be honest, in my opinion, this was never a contest apart from the first 10-15 minutes or maybe only 8 minutes where we had that one big save from Jan Zoma on that Elifelma shot. It was very well struck, by the way, but it was a very important save by, by Jan Zoma. He made one one more save, one big save from uh, Kovicic Kwaratskhelia in the second half. But that's, I mean, that's about it. And it was, apart from these two moments, I think it was one-way traffic all the way through. Osman started this game after being on the bench uh, from the start in the Bernabeu in midweek. But yeah, he, he started this one. Um, Politano was more or less invisible in this game, to be honest. Um I saw a lot of positive things yet again from uh, from the entire Inter side. The goals that they took, the first one from Chalanoglu, it's a classic Chalanoglu strike from outside of the box. He's been scoring one or two penalties in the recent times, but this was just a fantastic hit, which uh, which in in many ways I could see that coming. But that if if you look at the goal from a horizontal view from the ground, it's so very close to the ground but it stays parallel for a long time it's just so exquisite to watch isn't it um he's, he's such a technically gifted player that you could you could watch him the entire game he, he he's one of those guys who keeps the game ticking every single time for this inter side and he's so much integral to this to this entire team um if you look at what the way the way um even barella played in this game he, he again he, there is a lot of Positive that's positives that you can take from Nicola Barella and his performances every single time, and even from Henrik Mkhitaryan, who's met, he, he's low key it revived his career at Inter after all the all these uh, car crashing spells at Arsenal and, uh, and and Manchester United, but it's it's very good to see that happen as well. Um, as I said, the, the game really flowed up really well for Inter. They had one goal chopped off for offside from Marcus Turam early in the uh, early in the first half, but then the Chalanoglu goal just set up the game perfectly for them. The Barella goal was just amazing as well to watch. Uh, as I said, it's, it's just it's it's just fantastic team play altogether. And as I said, a lot of teams are sleeping, a lot of people are sleeping on Inter, the Champions League as well, and they are a classic team which can, you know really spoil anyone's party in the Champions League as well. If you're a team like Arsenal, if you're a team like Paris Saint-Germain, if they get through, if you're a team like Bayern as well, you, d- you don't want to face Inter at this time. It, they're really going to be the opposite of what you want in a Champions League game. But anyways, this uh, this this could be really interesting as it builds up to be a fantastic season for, for Inter in the Scudetto Challenge. I think they've been the best team around in Italy on a consistent level from the last four seasons. Even since Conte's left, I don't think they've lost their mojo. Of course, the team which Conte had, this team does not have all their pieces. I mean, of course, they've lost Lukaku. They've lost Ashraf Hakimi. They've lost Brozovic and all these other guys. They've lost Eriksen from that team. There is no... There is no Skriniar, 
De Vries obviously uh, fallen down a level too much. Handanovic is old. So, I mean, there, there, is, there, there are some players who are still from that side, like Lautaro, like Barella. Um, and there's still Bastoni in there. De Vrij is still around, but he's not really De Vrij from that Conte, Conte, Conte stint. So, it's, it's still that sort of leadership group is still intact. There's a veteran dressing room. They know how to deal with sticky situations as well. They're a good team. I think they'll do well again this year in the Serie A. The way they played against Napoli was just a testament of where they are as a team, not just in Italy, but also around in Europe. Of course, take nothing away from the fact that they are, again, marred by financial difficulties off the pitch because their uh, their manager is really not sure that he will be managing this football club. And, I mean, not just the manager, but also the players, the fans. It, it could be any time that the club goes insolvent and there, there is nothing to look forward to in this football club, but they're still churning out results, they're churning out good performances. And it all comes down to people like uh, people like Simone Inzaghi, who, who, who construct this club so well. I think there is there, there's a lot to look forward to if, if you're an Inter fan uh, in the season. And it's, it's just amazing. And again, shout out to all the goals. Uh, I think the Barella goal was just amazing. The way he takes touches from those two defenders is just fantastic. And the finish as well is very, very tight. Scores a very amazing goal. Uh, Marcus Turam, I think he's been a revelation for Inter. I'm probably one of the top five signings in all five leagues around in Europe. He's, he's just been so good in terms of value for money, in terms of return, of in, in, return on investment. On this guy, it's just it's, it's just amazing as at, at the level at which he's operating. I still think they need a proper, robust central defensive midfielder because I thought I don't think it's going to be sustainable to keep up with Chalanoglu and Mikitarin and Barella for the entirety of the season. You need someone who can give you a strong base around. I think Christian Aslani is one of those good players, but we saw what happened to him in. Uh, uh, in in that game against Benfica in the Champions League, so maybe it's um, m- maybe it's a bit too soon, but I think Inter really do need someone to bolster in their midfield as far as the other departments of the team go in terms of the attack, in terms of defense. They're as sure as anyone. I think uh, the way people like Acerbi are playing as well, it it really uses a manager with confidence, and I think that there's a lot to desire from a club like Napoli in terms of where they were last year and where they are right now. I think um, somebody said it on Twitter and you know what, Aurelio Di Laurentiis has really destroyed his own Mona Lisa. It, it, it really is of that of that ilk that this club has regressed in, in a span of what, six months? Um, of course, Spalletti leaving is one of those, is one of those reasons. There is the big hole that Kim has left behind as well as he's moved to Bayern. So, yeah, there, there, there is a lot to, there is a lot to look back at. I think they will probably be in the Champions League again uh, in the knockouts. There is a cloud over the participation next season as Roma have for now overtaken them. You never know what happens with Jose Mourinho. He's gathered around what 23 points in his last 11 games and, it's, it's it's a good stat or something like that. But anyways, for now, I think uh, Napoli need to look back, need to get some points on the board and 
get on a hot streak for some time. I mean, that's the only way that you're going to keep pressure on teams like Milan, who also won this weekend, and also on teams like Juventus. Uh, uh, by the way, uh, Juventus were on their travels away to Frosinone, and they got their goals. Uh, a goal from uh, Federico Gatti at the end assured that they were going to have all three points. Uh, maybe it was Monza. Yeah, it was Monza. I'm sorry, it was not Frosinone. I think Frosinone played Milan, and Monza played Juventus on Friday night. And the the player that I was very much impressed with was Hans Nicolasi. He, he looks a very interesting player to look forward to. Um, also, I would really like to see a lot of Kinan Yidlis. I, I, I saw him in the international brain. He looks a very fine player. But I think with uh, Max Allegri, it's really strange that you don't get to see... I mean, it's not really strange that you get to see those experienced guys playing week in and week out and less opportunities given to the youngsters. But... Um, Yes, uh, they're gaining some momentum. They're gaining some confidence as well. It was imperative for them that they did not lose points against uh, Inter in the Derby d'Italia uh, last weekend. So they've got themselves into a good position right now in the Serie A table. Of course, there will be moments in which they lose points. There will be moments in which Inter lose points. So it's kind of the situation like, you know, who blinks first in the Scudetto title race? Of course, there have been rumblings around in Italy that Max Allegri will be moving back to Milan after the season's been done and Antonio Conte will be asked to manage Juventus again, which I don't think is the right thing. I mean, if, if you're a Juventus, you look forward to some exciting managers around in Europe. I mean, if you're, if you're Juventus, you could look at Ruben Amorim. You can look at people like Julian Nagelsmann if he's interested in managing a big club if they're in the Champions League next season. A big club like Juventus with his own philosophy, philosophy in there and probably with a budget that really suits him. I think that's the way you could you could go at. I mean, if, if you're even looking forward, I think they should go for someone like Roberto De Zerbi and should encourage him to come back to Italy and manage Juventus. And that could be also moving in the right direction, not just for Juventus, also for Milan. I think going for Max Allegri could not be the right thing, but that's just rumblings that, are, that I'm hearing about in Italy. There have been really... Poor things that have come up with Maldini and uh, Cardinale in 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 that in that in, in that Milan boardroom as well, where there are some things that Maldini and Cardinale have have gone through in in between these uh, in between the last season and this season, and it's not having a good look. Um, he comes around and says uh, that. Um, well, that's uh, that, that's Maldini who comes around and says that you know he got around players like Leao, like Theo Hernandez, like uh, um, who, who was the other one? I, I I don't remember the other one that he mentioned, but yeah, he he, he got players like Manuel as well. But then uh, uh, Cardinale did not appreciate that. But then Cardinale is uh, he, he was also the reason why he he was booted out of that job at Milan as well. So. Who knows what could happen? I mean, of course, um, Maldini is, is... I mean, of course, everyone knows who Maldini is. He's, he is Mr. Milan, isn't he? So, let, it, it's, it's not a good look in Milan right now. I, I've, got, I've got not... I don't have a proper picture of what has happened right now in, in, this, uh, in, uh, in, in Milan, but really, that it's not a good look when, when you, you're flirting around uh, 
with those sort of comments uh, around your president. Also, the other, the same goes on for Cardinale and the things that he's around with, uh, that he's got around with, uh, uh, with, uh, with, with Maldini. It just don't, does not give a good look to you. Well, we had quite the weather in Germany as the game between Bayern Munich and Union Berlin got cancelled because some heavy snowfall around the Allianz Arena and sad story there, but the game will be played in sometime soon because both the teams are out of the DFB Cup. So maybe when there is DFB Pokal games going around in Germany, we will have a Bundesliga game shoveled into it or put into it or shoved into it by the DFB and yeah, I mean, that, that sounds all, all right. I mean, both teams, I mean, I think Union Berlin will have a lot of time spare because maybe they're not going to be in Europe all together. But yeah, sad story there because we didn't get to see a big game between Bayern and Union Berlin. But that was of significance because we had another big game in Germany and that was Borussia Dortmund playing against uh, the high-flying Bayer Leverkusen. And, well, Bayer Leverkusen are the only side this season which has gone unbeaten in all competitions. Of course, you could you would think that Bayern Munich as well. But no, Bayern Munich were beaten by Saarbrücken. And after Nice lost the game in Liga, they're the only team which has been unbeaten in all competitions across Europe. So, kudos to Bayer Leverkusen. But they did drop points against Borussia Dortmund, who I cannot understand this side. I really don't understand this team because when you've got to play good good teams, they, they stupidly drop points. Last season against teams, I, 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 don't, I don't even know whom they dropped. Didn't they drop point against Armenia Bielefeld or something when they were in the title race with Bayern Munich? They dropped points against Mainz the final day of the season where they had to just win the game in front of their own fans. They dropped points and they lost the title right there. But then they come up against Bayer Leverkusen, who are very much high-flying. They spoil their party. I, I I don't know what to say about this team, but this team is just... It really is such a puzzler, isn't it? But anyways, they played really well here, Borussia Dortmund. And I have to say, they're in a very good way in a form because the way they played against Newcastle United, the way they played against Borussia Mönchengladbach last weekend was very good as well. They, in spite of going 2-0 down, they showed character to come back to win it by four goals to two. I think they played they, they were the better side in a very open game against Milan at the San Siro. But they came here, in spite of being on their travels for the last two games, they came to the Bay Arena and they put up quite the show in the first half. I think they were very, very good. They defended discipline. The, the defensive discipline of this team was very much on show. I thought uh, the way the midfield held their shape for a lot much longer was fantastic. And it was a bit criminal that nobody marked the run of Julian Rearson when he sneaked into that side of the pitch and went in behind. The ball played in was fantastic as well. And the finish as well past Lukas Rodetsky, uh, which gave Borussia Dortmund that early lead. And they tried to manage that lead for the entire game. There was a goal which was chopped off from Florian Wirtz. I mean, it's a bit surprising how the ball from Jeremy Frimpong can travel all the way back to the far post. And there's no one from Borussia Dortmund just trying to clear them out. Absolutely no one. It really is puzzling. And the finish, by the way, from Florian Wirtz on that one was fantastic. When he came back 
from an offside position, so it was not going to count. Um, of course, you can have your what do you say? You can you can have your um, complaints about it. I think that's the right word, but you know it is what it is. It's offside, so it's offside, and I don't think there was any stars aligned for uh, by Leverkusen to win this game, as I thought that Borussia Dortmund of all people are going to stop a title challenger against Bayern Munich in the quest for the Bundesliga title. But again, you know, it's not Dortmund's fault that this was the game that they caught fire. In the end, Bayer Leverkusen did get another, uh, did get that goal, and it was very good play from Kosunu, who got that ball into its Patrick Schick, who's fit again, and he squared it around. I, I don't know what Gregor Kobel was doing because he went on a... He went on a slide and he was on. He was making. He was going it towards. Uh, uh, towards Patrick Schick, and so were the three Dortmund defenders. And absolutely no one was marking Victor Bonifacio, who had the easiest tap ins in the world. I mean, that's the Dortmund defense that I know, but that was invisible for the most of the part. And, well, they got, they got themselves that goal. They got themselves. That one point, which in theory has them three points clear of Bayern, there is still some pressure on Bayern. So, so until that game against Union Berlin, they cannot afford to lose points. If they lose points, the game against Union Berlin becomes more significant. But if Bayern win the game against Union Berlin, they will be level on points against Borussia Dortmund or not Borussia Dortmund, Bayer Leverkusen. So, it is what it is right now, and. Uh, well, the, it is It is quite a tricky fixture list coming up for Bayer Leverkusen. They're going to be on their travels away to Stuttgart, a high-flying Stuttgart, who are doing really well in the league so far. That's going to be interesting. On the other hand, Dortmund against, um, Dortmund against uh, RB Leipzig is also going to be uh, this weekend. Uh, by the way, Leverkusen will be up against Paderborn in the round of 16 of the DFB Pokal. Um, but yeah, I don't want to talk about that. I want to talk about this. Um, they do have Stuttgart and they do have Antoine Frankfurt. So I, I think they will take care of Frankfurt. The thing is that I really worry for them against Stuttgart. Bayern, by the way, will be taking on Frankfurt away in Frankfurt. So there might be a slippery skin. Um, there might be a banana skin for them. But who knows? <laughs> I, I, it, it really is going to be strange little fixture list until that winter break comes up in German top flight, but until then, I think it's going to be really, really quite the, uh, uh, qu quite the tricky fixture list for Bayer Leverkusen, but until then, I think we will see what happens after that. That's it from me in this, uh, in this podcast. I'm sure that you would enjoy it. It's a big one because we had a, uh, a lot of big games around and a lot of topics to cover across the weekend, but uh, yeah, I'll be there the next time there is a big, big flurry of fixtures around in uh, in Europe's top flight. Maybe I'll be there after we are done with the Champions League uh, group stage. Of course, we had the European, we had we had, we had the Euro draw. So I'll briefly discuss it. Uh, so all the eight groups have been uh, have been confirmed, and uh, the groups are as follows. In Group A, we have Germany, Scotland, Hungary, and Switzerland. The opening game being between Germany and Scotland, it's um, well, it's it, it's it's a really interesting group here as well. If you look at it, you've got Scotland who've been pretty good. They've given 
a team like Spain a run for their money in the in the Euro qualifiers. Apart from that, you've got Switzerland and Hungary. Hungary are a, are a group of individuals who are very much uh, determined to have success on the international level. On top of it, you've got good players around as well. Prominent amongst those is obviously going to be Dominic Soboslai. So beaver of that Hungarian, Hungarian side who, if I'm not wrong, also drew against against Germany in Euro 2020 as well. They're in the same group as uh, Germany, Portugal and France. So they, I, I believe they took points away from France and from Germany and they lost to Portugal in that first game. So I don't. it's, it's going to be a tricky one. Switzerland always around there. I, sting, I, I think Switzerland will get the first place. There will be a fight for the second one. I, God knows who will finish last. But I think it's going to be a very tricky one to predict uh, uh, for the Euros. The second group is Albania, Croatia, Spain and Italy. This one again, it's it, it really is tricky. I still believe Albania again, who've got good players around. There is Malbenes is one of those guys. You've also got you know guys like, uh, uh, who's that? Broja, who plays for Chelsea, if I'm not wrong. He, he's also an Albanian, so... It's 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 going to be interesting. I I still believe if Albania play, if Albania have a good day, someone's going to have their hand. They're going to have somebody's blood on their hands. It it really is interesting. Italy are not really playing that well under Luciano Spalletti as well. There is still time for them to regroup, but it's it, it the tournament's getting very very close. Croatia is always there with those experienced players like Modric and Perisic and all these other guys. You know you've got uh, Kovacic still there. Brozovic will be back. Um, in, in in the limelight after spending his time in Saudi Arabia. You've got good players coming in. You've got likes of Budimir and Petkovic. And these players, Livakovic, they never go away, do they? And uh, then you've got Spain. Only God knows what's going to happen with Spain. I really have got no idea the way they play, they're playing because I've not really followed their games. But yeah, I mean, it's again, probably the group of death, as, as many as many would say. Then you've got Group C as well, where you have Slovenia, Denmark, Serbia and England. On paper, this looks like a very easy group for England, but you never trust Gareth Southgate, can you? Uh, and, you know, Slovenia, not really an easy side again. You know, they've got good players in that side, like Jano Black. You've got um, also, I believe that they've also... Who whom else they've got? I think they've got Benjamin Sesko as well, to, who who, they, who can lead the line. Denmark again, bunch of experienced players in the, on the international stage, like Eriksson, like you know who's the other guy? Schmeichel is there in 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 between the sticks if he wants to stick around. Christensen is in good form. Joachim Anderson from uh, Crystal Palace is there. Joachim Meile from Atalanta. You've got Mark, not Martin Darun, of course, not him, but um, you've got um, Pierre Melhoibier. In there as well, you know, Matthias Jensen from Brentford, who's been fantastic for them. Uh, maybe we'll see a bit of Thomas Delaney as well, if he if he is around. Um, and then there is Rasmus Hoyland, who if he if he catches fire for Denmark, nobody knows what could happen. There, there, are, there are serious good players in there. Jesper Lundström as well. If you've got good players around, if, if they can use them well, anything can happen with Serbia as well. Experienced international players around in that team as well. You've got guys like Sarei Milinkovic-Savic, Aleksandr Mitrovic. You've got Dusan Vlahovic, Dusan Tadic, um, to name a few. Filip Kostic is there. Uh, so, so many good players around. You know, you've got uh, Gudeli 
from Porto. There are good players around that team as well. So who knows what could happen? It's 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 a very open group. I still think England should get first place, but I won't be surprised if someone like a Serbia or Denmark get the better of them and you know maybe get a first place ahead of England. That could really shake things up for the English side. Then again, you've got the Group D where we have a playoff place, and then you've got France, Netherlands, and Austria. This again is not really straightforward. You know, Austria is playing really well under. Ralph Rangnick, um, they've got good players again on the club's level who play mostly their football in uh, in the Bundesliga. We've got David Alaba is there as well. You've got Marcel Zalitzer. You've got the two Leipzig midfielders in Nicolas Seewald, and also um, there is um, there is there is Java Schlager. There is uh, Marco Arnautovic from Inter. So good good players again in that team. The guy who plays for Bologna at right back. I think his name is Posh or something. He's a pretty de- decent bet as well. You've got Netherlands, you've got France. I think those two will battle it all for the first place. But I won't be surprised if Austria gets something out of one of those two teams. It could be really interesting. It could be really, really interesting in that group as well. In Group E, we have Belgium, Slovakia, Romania. And another team which will be playing from the playoffs. I've got no idea about Romania. Belgium is looking good. Uh, since uh, since uh, Domenico Tedesco took over. So that could be a good thing and a good thing only. Um, I really don't know what to expect of Slovakia. I've, I saw two games of theirs. They're playing against Portugal in the, uh, the Euro qualifiers. A sturdy team. You've got good players like Kuchka. Um, you've got Skriniar in there. It's a good team. You've got Lobotka in there as well. Some players who work really hard make really life really difficult if they go to the knockouts and play a team which generally don't create much a team like Spain could really struggling in Slovakia in my opinion so who knows what could happen who knows what's in store for uh, with us for Slovakia in terms of the next group and well Portugal have again got the group which in, which is the last in order it's group what it is G or group F or something oh yeah group F of course um they will be having uh, Turkey. They will be having, uh, yeah, Turkey is one team, Portugal, and also Czech Republic, yeah. So, or rather, I could call him Czechia. So, again, I think this should be a good group. I think Turkey as well, they've got good players. I believe Arda Guler will be there. I believe Kinan Yidlis will be there. You've got Chana Loglu. You've got Sally Ostian, who's playing really well with Dortmund. Um, Aktor Koglu, Chala Noglu, as I said before. Um, they've got good players again. You know, you've got Mary Demiral coming back. Soyuncu, if he gets some game time, you know, it's 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 a decent side. If you really, I mean, Turkey are a good side as well, and even Czech Republic, you've got good players in there. But Portugal should really cruise from me. I believe there will be a playoff between Georgia, Kazakhstan, and all these other teams. I believe Georgia is the favorite amongst those teams. With I would like to see Kwiatkowski play in the Euros, but. Let's see what happens. So that's it from me in today's podcast. Be sure to uh, check into my other podcasts as well. I will meet you guys next um, next Friday or next Thursday. Depends where I am. And uh, we'll discuss match day six of the Champions League. And if possible, we'll also see the draw and how it's been made. So tune in. Uh, weekly pod underscore OTT. W-E-E-K-L-Y-P-O-D underscore OTT. 
I put my opinions in there and be sure to check into those if you are really interested. I'll meet you guys soon. This was your host, Mayurish Matkar. Cheerio!